Lately, it seems that we're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now, because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we get to come today with the rest of God's people to worship and to adore you. Lord, sometimes our week gets so busy and sometimes we get so flooded with our to-dos that, that we put you aside. We ask today, Father, that you would open our eyes, that the Holy Spirit would be so abundantly active today to convict and to encourage and to strengthen Father, we know that uh, when we talk to you, when we pray, oftentimes it just comes around crises in our life. We, we do thank you, Father, for meals at times and for the blessings that you seem to give us. But Father, talking to you in a new and a fresh way excites our souls. Today we're going to look at a text where Paul is praying for a church. I ask you, God, that you would teach us to pray like the apostle. We know also, Father, there are churches all over, well, our area, our county, our state, the world, who are meeting together, and your word is given out. And there are people worshiping you. We pray in particular, Father, for three churches in our area. We pray for the chapel. We pray, dear Father, for Northbridge. And we pray for Emmanuel. We know, God, that these, among others, are proclaiming your word. And we ask that we would be salt and light in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul is writing to a mature group of believers. 
Now, if you've been with us, you do understand a little bit of what I'm talking about. But every week, there are folks that kind of meander into our fellowship. They see people standing and raising their hands and singing, putting money in the plates. And now, some guy's standing on the platform talking about Paul, like who's that, and a letter. You know, what happens is, is that every one of us have an opportunity to do some things that are very normal for us. But sometimes we step out of our comfort zone and we hang out with people we don't know. Our hope today is that you have a sense of no matter where you are on the journey, that there's a group of people here, a group of very normal people who love the Lord very much. They have been transformed by God's Word. And they love to give and to serve. You know, as we open up our Bibles, we're looking at a letter that's in the New Testament that was written a couple thousand years ago by a guy whose name is Paul, who plants churches. He went all over, really, especially Asia Minor at that time, just going to different places, telling the good news about Jesus. You see, Paul met Jesus on a road going to Damascus, and his life literally changed. So once he met Jesus, once he recognized that Jesus died in our place so that every one of us might be restored back to a relationship with God, and after he put his faith and his trust in Jesus, he started to tell others. He actually couldn't believe it. He was a really religious man, as so many of you know, but, but he couldn't believe that you could actually know God in this intimate way. And so he started to preach that and share that in every venue he could. He started to tell others about God's amazing grace and how God designed for each one of us to live abundantly and in community. And so he planted churches wherever he went. This particular church, he stayed three years. That wasn't his normal pattern. But for some reason, God had him, well, get planted here. And so can you imagine having the Apostle Paul as your pastor, as your teacher? A guy who's, well, practiced what he preached. He lived a life connected with God. Every time you hung out with him, you were changed because he was so connected. He ends up in prison while he is, well, proclaiming good news. And he writes some letters. One of the letters that he writes is to this church. Now, what's really cool is that 
God was doing some amazing things in the church of Ephesus. That church was totally on fire. That church was so enamored with who God was. There were things that were going on that, wow, God was smiling. But not only did he change that church, he changed one of the major metropolises in all of the world at that time. He changed Ephesus. There were riots going on. There were people, again, that were, were burning all kinds of, well, material that was inappropriate for believers to have. God was moving. And I encourage you, we started this series two weeks ago, and if somehow you missed it, maybe you could go back there, especially and get the introduction to Ephesus, or, or to this um, series that we're starting, and it, I think, will fill in some of the cracks that need filling in. Last week, though, we met, and we were reminded of the few blessings we have in Christ. And not that we just have a few blessings, we have unbelievable amount of blessings. And we just started opening up the Word and sawing God's grace being showered on us over and over and over. We were reminded that all those who have come to faith have been chosen by God. They've been adopted by God, literally as a firstborn son who's going to receive a full inheritance. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And last week, we stuffed in your bulletins this little handout, Who Am I? We have more of those in our lobby on our literature rack, and if for some reason you didn't get one of these or you'd want more, please pick one up on your way out. It will absolutely overwhelm you all that God has done and all that God is doing because he loves you and wants to be involved in your life. So in our section, Paul starts off with unbelievable thanksgiving. Now I think you're going to be encouraged by this section. But more than that, I think you're going to leave surprised today. I've asked my friend Wayne Ashwood, Wayne, would you stand up for me so I can uh, let all of my friends here at Crosspoint see Wayne? Wayne got a temporary job here in Chicago. And uh, the reason I know Wayne is I've gone on probably over 20 mission trips to Jamaica. Wayne is a Jamaican brother, all right? He is one of my dear friends. And honestly, when I found out he was coming today, who almost didn't make it, but, but other than that... You know, um, I asked him to read our scripture. So would you follow along as Wayne reads for us, starting in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. God's word. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I have also pray I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above all any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under his authority, under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fill all things everywhere with himself. Let's go back to verses 15 and 16. Paul writes this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. In fact, I pray for you constantly. Now, we know that the church at Ephesus, or many of the folks that were part of the church at Ephesus, had an amazing, strong faith. They had a rich relationship with God. There was a trust that had been developed, just like in any other relationship. And as they saw God in his faithfulness, they began to put more and more and more stock, and their faith grew. They had rock-solid faith in spite of circumstances, in spite of hardships, in spite of discouragements, in spite of those who lost jobs, in spite of the persecution that was going on. And then Paul said this, I also thank God because you love God's people. Now, you first read that, you kind of think, well, what's so special about that? You know, sometimes it's hard to love God's people. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, God's people are always loving and kind and gracious and forgiving. Ah, Yeah, sometimes they are. But the truth is, is sometimes when a family comes together and sometimes when churches come together, there's some things that happen in some areas that Well, get a little bit rough. But Paul says this, you have an amazing faith and you really love the brothers. Wow. You know, love is a billboard that shouts there's intimacy with God. What's amazing to me is that Jesus showed us what that meant over and over and over again. But really... One of the most amazing things that Jesus did 
was right before he went to the cross and he was meeting with his disciples. Literally, he took the form of a servant and he washed his disciples' feet. What's so amazing about this is, is that literally all these guys, for the most part, are going to deny him in just a few moments. One is literally going to betray him. And in spite of knowing all these things, he chose to serve them. And then he gave this statement right at the end. He goes, I just want you guys to know. I showed you what it means to love, to sacrifice, to give up, well, something that's important to you. And later on, everyone will know that you are Christians when you love others like I have loved you. It's in John 13, verse 35. Then Paul says he prays constantly for his friends in Ephesus. And I had to stop right there. I circled that in my Bible, but I, I just asked. I said, God, how do you do this? How do you pray constantly? Paul did it, but he also reminded us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, always be praying. You know, I think this is a, direct, a directive for all of us. Is that as you spend time with God, that this prayer thing is not something that's always official, something you're always on your knees, and something that you always say exactly the same way. Because prayer is literally just talking to God. And you could be driving, and right before you go to bed, and you can just put up, but it's this conversation, because you have such a friend. And that's what Paul had as a friend named God. And he just said, you know what, guys? I, I, I love what's happening at Ephesus. This is so cool. But I'm going to make three requests. I'm going to pray for three things in your church's life. The first request is this. May God give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you can grow in your knowledge of God. Now, if you just kind of look at that one sentence and you're recognizing again, he's writing to this group of individuals who are quite mature. I think some of these requests will seem odd. So these guys already, many of them have a relationship with God. They're already walking with God. So why would Paul make a big deal of this? Hey, I just want you to know that that intimacy with God is so important. I want your spiritual eyes and discernment in knowing him personally. I want you to grow in your spiritual intimacy. And I know you will if you spend time with God. You'll hear a lot about that as you spend time here at this church. Because sometimes even really mature believers, they forget to nurture a relationship. It happens sometimes in marriages. You could be even married 42 years and take somebody for granted and forget 
that you need to date every once in a while. You need to sit down and chat every once in a while. You need to pray together every once in a while. And that it's really easy to have two lives just go separate. Just is. Well, the same way with God. And I think Paul just wanted to start off and says, hey, you know what? There's a lot of good things happening. And I'm so glad. But don't forget, I'm praying that you see God better, that you are more intimate, that you love our Lord more and more and more and more. Remember in Philippians chapter 3, and we've mentioned this and we'll continue, the apostle Paul recognized this. He had all these amazing things on his credentials. But he says, you know, all of those things are not really that important. You know what's really important? It's for me to know God. It's for me to understand who that is. The second request. May God flood your hearts with light so that you can understand your future. A sure hope, a rich and a glorious inheritance. In other words, again, you would think all of these folks would understand this. But Paul just says this, may your eyes be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what God is calling you to do. May you grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has planned for every one of you believers. Don't just settle. I want you to recognize that the more intimate you are and the more you understand all that God has for you, it's going to blow you away. You guys think you know enough right now. And maybe he's speaking right here at Crosspoint. But Paul says, no, you don't get it. You, you're just hitting the, the surface. There is so much more. I just got through telling you 10 things that happened, but I am telling you, God has graced you in an unbelievable way. If you understand who you are, if you understand what God's done for you, your life is going to change. Your motives are going to change. Everything is going to change, and literally, Fox Lake and Ingleside will change. It will change. And other places, wherever you live. The third request, again, it just kind of seems odd, but the third request, lastly, that you understand the incredible power available to all believers, but especially you. You guys, you're walking with God. You know this God. So yes, all believers have this power, well, available to you, but you you really know what this power is. The utter extravagance of his work who work in us who trust him. The endless energy, the boundless strength, this same type of power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the same power that seated Jesus in the heaven where he rules with all power and authority. You, Ephesian believers, have resurrection power available. See, Rick, what does that look like? I, 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 I like some of that. Maybe you have some and you have experienced some of that. But this is the power of a transformed life. 
It's the power of people who recognize that one time they were dead, and by God's grace, they are now alive and chosen and blessed and empowered. Oh, my word. You need to realize what we have. We have been justified by our faith. That now we stand before God absolutely clean. We can come before the Almighty God. That's cool. But more than that, we have power over sin in our lives. We don't have to, well, serve sin or our selfishness. We'll say, hey, wait a minute, Rick, again. You know, some of the things that we call sin, they're kind of fun. And I agree. But all of their fruit is so short-lived and literally the consequences are horrific. Because the big consequence that happens when we rebel and we sin and we leave is that we break our fellowship with God. We cannot live the way God intended. We cannot enjoy all the blessings that God desires to give you. You simply exist. In fact, in my opinion, I think the most miserable people on the planet are people that know the Lord and are not walking with God. They're doing life by themselves. So what, what Paul is just trying to say is, hey, you've been justified. Hey, you have been given power and authority over all the things that used to rule you, all the things that used to have the fruit of death. You don't have to anymore. I have given you this authority to be able to listen to your new master, listen to me, a loving father. Oh, open your hearts to me. Let me guide you and direct you. Don't be deceived by this enemy. That's why I was excited. And lastly, do you realize in the future, folks, no matter how long you live, and and maybe some of you are going to live to be 127. I don't know. Probably not. But no matter how long you live, it is a drop in the bucket to eternity. Period. It doesn't matter Uh, how rich you are, how famous you are, how many accolades you have. I am telling you, this life is so short. And that's what Paul's excited about. Paul says, do you realize you have this power, you have this hope. This is amazing. Now what I want you to know, this is a shepherd and this is what he's praying for a church. Did you know what Paul did not pray for? And I'm not saying he never prayed for this. But he didn't pray that everyone would be safe. He didn't pray that everyone would have a good job. He didn't pray that everyone would find a great wife or husband. Didn't pray that you would have a great bank account. Didn't pray that you would be cancer free. Wow. He didn't pray any of those things. And I'm not saying we don't pray about those things, but those were not the big concerns for Paul. Because he knew if these folks were intimate with God, if they experienced this power and authority, that they would be able to, in spite of circumstances or situations, they'd be able to thrive. 
Wow. May all of us grow in our understanding of prayer. May we realize and begin to pray, well, less self-focused and more kingdom-oriented. And then, and this is the part I couldn't wait to get to, and I know every word is so important in the scriptures. Every word is there for a reason. But in my opinion, starting at verse 21, it's sort of like this. Oh, by the way, although all this is really cool, this is what I'm praying for you about. Jesus is the head of the church, so the church thrives. So I'm praying these three things for you, but I also just want to slip in in these two verses, verses 21 and 23, that Jesus is the head. Let's read it. Verses 21 in 23 to 23 now he jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come god has put all things under the authority of christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church folks we are going to come back there and if you have a bible please underline that And then verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Paul focuses on the church. And this is what the letter does, is focus on the church. On how amazing the local church is. And you're going to see this over and over and over again. And what I want to say right now, this is so helpful because our culture has totally distorted it. Especially our Western culture. One of my favorite preachers and teachers and one of my former bosses, his name is Colin Smith. He's the pastor over there at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church. And I was listening to one of his messages as he was kind of sharing and talking about the church. And he talks about the church in four different ways. And I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was amazing. And I think it will help clarify for us how distorted I think we may see the church today. First of all, Some people look at the church like a gas station. In other words, I need my spiritual tank filled every single week. I'm just going to go to church, I'm going to get filled up, and I'll be able to last for a week, right? Or it might be, where can I go to get my spiritual tank filled? Oh, I hear this preacher's over here, and I hear this church is doing this, or I like this series. Whoa, I'm going to go there. Get my spiritual tank filled. Second distortion is that the church is like a movie theater. (laughs) You go for the entertainment. Yeah. You say, well, really? You do. You go there for an hour of relief. You hear a good story. You feel good about going to church and putting in a couple bucks in the offering. And you leave just kind of feeling good. The third analogy is that a church is like a drugstore. 
You come to get a prescription for pain or a band-aid for a wound. And if, oh, if that verse would just hit me like, you know, dial a prayer, dial a verse. Oh, man, I, I need this. If I just got it, then I can get through. Or the church is like a big box retailer where I can go and get the best deal. It has a safe environment for my family. It's, it's a great service at a low price. What is being offered? Where's the best kids program, the best children's program? Where do they do the best mission trips? Where do they have the best women's Bible studies? I'm there. Except I wouldn't go there, but maybe some of you would go there. We want to have our minds shaped by the Bible, not by our culture. And there is nowhere in the scriptures that the church, I'm just letting you know, is described in any of these four ways. This is commercialism at its best, and its common denominator is me. The focus is me. Fill me up. Entertain me. Take my pain. Give me the programs for me and my family. Personally, I don't have any loyalty to gas stations. My loyalty, well, it's not true in some ways, but my loyalty is... That's really cheap gas. All right? I like that. I don't have movie theater loyalty. I don't have a drugstore loyalty. You go certain places, and I don't have a big box retailer loyalty. Well, maybe a little bit for Menards, but I'm trying to wean myself of that one. But, but the truth is, is that you go where the best deal is, or you try to. And so it's always all about you. It just is. And lots of Christians look at church the same way. And actually, they miss out. Let's look at the Bible again. Verses 21, 22, and 23, where Paul clarifies the church for us. I think this is going to blow you away. Verse 21. I know we've read it a few times, but it's okay. We, we can do this. Now, he is far above any other ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is full, and it is complete by Christ, who fills all things with himself everywhere. Why did Jesus get all the power and authority and declare that Jesus is the head? All that to benefit the church. All of it. All of it to benefit cross point Church, can you put your arms around this? Jesus is the head of the church, and the local body, or specifically Crosspoint, is his body. 
the whole church can thrive because Jesus is the head. Now, this is so simple, but, but all I can say is this. Why will a church thrive? Because the body needs a head. The body needs a head. You see, the church is a fine-tuned, coordinated body when the body listens to the head. The body is totally dependent on the head. If you ever realized there used to be a practice that would take a head away from the body, all right, it did not go well after that happened. Just want you to know. The body would never get up after that and start doing a sprint, you know. It would be done. It would literally be done. The body is God's hands, God's feet, God's tongue, by which he fills our world, every nook, every cranny with his presence. God is choosing to operate through the church. Are are you getting this? He has united himself to his people and has chosen to do his work through the local church. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, do you understand what God's purpose is for each one of you? Literally not to be a lone, lone ranger. Literally not to just start some great ministry all by yourself. It's to be part of a local church making an impact wherever that church is. Oh. You know, the question comes, why wouldn't you, or every believer really, be part of a local church? And as a pastor, I ask that question a lot. Well, you're supposed to be excited about the church. You're a pastor. Like, that's where you get paid, dude. Okay. But I think I have the greatest job in the whole world to be able to shepherd the flock and be able to encourage and equip people so that they might be the hands and the feet of God everywhere. Wherever they go, wherever God sends you, whatever school you're in, whatever job, wherever house you are living in. Say, Rick, this sounds limiting. I don't like to get tied up with the church. I like to be footloose and fancy free. But God literally all the way through, and you're going to see in this letter, he has chosen to work through a church, not through individuals. And my question is this, why would a glorious head join himself to such a feeble body, if I'm honest? Every church I've been part of, there's been some huge weaknesses. Every pastor that pastor that I've had, I know my weaknesses. Like, really? You're going to choose God to use Crosspoint Church and all the other local churches in this area to be your hands and to be your feet? 
Well, I'll tell you the reason he wants to do it. And this is so amazing. And we are going to get it in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 3. But Jesus works through the church so he can display his glory. He can mirror himself well. He can go into places all over everywhere. God's glory is displayed two ways according to the scriptures. God's glory is displayed when someone comes to faith. People understand who God is when someone is saved. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 2. We also find that God's glory is displayed through the gathering of local congregations. The only other way. And that's going to be found in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. So God displays his glory. He mirrors himself. We are his representatives. Everyone, when we leave this place, people are going to be drawn or repelled to God by how we act and respond. (laughs) Are you serious? This truth changes us. It changes our perspective. It changes our actions. It changes how we drive. It changes how we greet the mailman. It changes everything. That's what it changes. We magnify God. We mirror God by being part of this body, by serving this body, by sacrificing for the body. It may be perhaps the greatest honor any believer has is to be part of a local church. And I'm telling you, not a whole lot of people believe that. But that's what God's Word says. God places supreme value on the gathering of local congregations. It is a living organism that listens to the head and moves forward with great power and energy on a kingdom mission making a kingdom impact. It is the church that evangelizes and that equips and unleashes and displays God. Churches are God's strategy to accomplish his mission. Whoa! Are you kidding me? Why then? Why? Why is it such a low priority for so many believers? Because we've bought the culture. We think church looks different than what the church is. We look at it. We wonder. We leave churches. We go to different churches. And folks, let me just say, there are some really good reasons Okay, why you would leave a church. I get it. And there are really good reasons why there are times that you start fresh. But so many today are going to churches for a spiritual fill-up. 
So many today are going to churches just to feel good with a great story. So many people today are going to churches just to get an aspirin or a band-aid. And so many churches are, are, so many people are going to churches just simply because it's a program, it's a preacher. And they don't understand how important it is for each one of us to be together, to be the body, and to function as a body. You see, realistically, when we understand all that God has and what privileges we have and the mission that God has given us, it's pretty easy to be sacrificial, giving of our time, our treasures, and our talents. Now, you guys all had bulletins, I'm pretty sure. And I know you're thinking, oh, Rick, you are just talking about like a recruitment Sunday and talking about ministry opportunities, and you're going to just use this scripture. Folks, your pastor is not smart enough to plan it this way. I am just letting you know. This is a text for today. And we have a privilege to say yes to train and equip. Our hope more than anything is that that we say yes when God gives us opportunities to serve. That we become part of members here in a local body and pray and become part of this. And that literally we become part of life groups and we do life together and we move forward together. It's so exciting It's so powerful. And I just think some of you are missing out. We'd love for you to go out to the board. Maybe there's some things you can serve in. But more than anything, as we even develop these life groups and even develop these opportunities of doing life together, you're going to find out that it's not just about inside the walls. It's a lot about outside the walls. And our hope and desire is to listen to God in every area. We want to help you connect. We want to help you get in a spot where you will mirror God together with the rest of the body as we listen to the head and move forward. What a text. This is an amazing text. These are truths to convict and to ignite and to energize and to inspire. We want you all to live a life with less regrets. I hope that each one of us pray differently for each other and for our church. And my hope is that we listen and together make the impact that God intended Crosspoint to make. Let's pray. Father, I honestly am blown away by Paul's prayer and Paul's understanding of the church. We know, God, that that it all starts with our relationship with you. And if it's poor or if it's non-existent, God, we will not understand all that you have for us. Lord, we pray that even today that you would open our eyes and help us connect better. But even more than that, God, why you chose to use this church 
to be your hands and your feet. God, we can't do that if we're not connected to the head. We can't do that if we don't know you. We can't do that in our own power and our own strength. We are weak. But God, we want to be connected to you. Connected to each other. And we want to experience that amazing power as you work in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.